Welcome and thanks for listening. My name is Christian Buckley and you're listening to the Collab Talk podcast. In this episode, I'm talking with Mark Miller, Senior Director of Content Marketing at Jupiter One and the host of the DevSecOps podcast series on the topic of the role of DevOps within our collaboration culture. another episode of the Collab Talk podcast, where we discuss the convergence of technology, business productivity, and collaboration culture. I love the cultural side of this because it's the most important aspect. Uh, My guest today is Mark Miller, based in New York City. Mark is a Senior Director of Content Marketing with Jupiter One. He's the Editor-in-Chief of the LinkedIn DevOps Group, which is very large and very active, the host and executive producer of the very successful DevSecOps podcast series, and which has something like 450,000 listeners, so it's and in, in growing rapidly. He's also the co-founder and executive producer of the largest global DevOps conference, All Day DevOps, which just had its sixth annual event. Is that correct? Yes. So some listeners may recall Mark was also the founder of the now defunct end user SharePoint site, which I was a contributor as as part of that movement there. And that was a driving force in uh, and around the very passionate and still thriving SharePoint community before shifting his focus mostly over to the DevOps and the DevSecOps uh, space. So this topic today is perfect for you, Mark, because it really spans the two spaces of collaboration technology specifically and everything around that and DevOps. So really want your insights in there, of course. Uh, we're also, you, it yeah. was painful though for you to say the now defunct. Uh, yeah, well, <laughs> was, you know. You're yeah. right, it was a huge community. I think it was probably the largest community in SharePoint because we got that outer circle of the onion of all of the end users. Yeah, you know, and I know that there are still assets out there and you still have your Twitter Twitter handle, which is EUSP, which was based on that, the, the community activities out there. And occasionally you have somebody will bring it up and comment on that too. So it, it's like everything on the internet never really dies. There's still, <laughs> still assets that are out Somebody there. Put a stake in that thing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but we're focusing today. So on the topic of the role of DevOps, within our collaboration culture and how the DevOps space has really evolved and grown over the past 10, 20 years. I, as I said, you know, well, first, officially, welcome, Mark. Hello. Thank you. Thank you. Long time no see. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, uh, this is a space, of course, I, I worked in what is now, you know, we didn't call it DevOps back in the late 90s and early 2000s, or somebody did, we didn't refer to ourselves that way, but working in the software configuration management, specifically that space, the tooling around engineering and analyst organizations, that was kind of my world for a while before finding, discovering SharePoint. And finding and discovering selfies, I have to say. Yeah, that, that, that too. Selfies. <laughs> I, you know, I always got that credit as the the king of selfies, and I, there were other people that did far more uh, than I did on volume. But I think it's a quality issue. I think the quality of my selfies. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've got you're you're competing with Marcy when we used to have large events, right? But she's yeah. got an actual camera. 
<laughs> I, I know. Well, I, that's the, the beauty is like before we had the smartphones, I had that little Canon digital right. and I could, I just knew, I knew it so well, I could hold it at arm's length and turn it around. And, and I knew that the, that, that I was focused in the right area. I just, I had that down. I had that motion. Yeah, that's right. So, well, so welcome to the show. Did I leave anything else on the table about uh, your role, your activities, any other projects or past job experiences that you want to include here? You know, we'll we'll talk about how what's happening at Jupiter One because we're central when it comes to cyber asset management and the new direction it's taking in the industry. But I think that we should start with your and my relationship and SharePoint and how that started, and then moved. Once I moved away from SharePoint, I always thought I would do. Christian, a session at a major SharePoint conference called Is There Life After SharePoint? Mm. Uh, and it, I think it's legitimate because uh, a lot of people call me and say, how, how did you do what you do? How do you move from one space to another space? And it's legitimate. But when you start thinking about, in your case, collaboration, collaboration isn't a specific vertical for an industry. It's not. It's, no. It's a process. It's a concept that we have to work with. Well, that, see, that's the thing I, I look at. It's a smaller focus area than is the DevOps space, where you start to look at and break down what's included within DevOps. And when you say DevSecOps, if you talk about the security aspect of that as well, there's all these different areas, all of which have a collaboration component. It all fits into that same, you know, the, the systems, the tools, the platforms, that support our business, it, you know, it's just a, it's just one rung on the ladder. Yeah. I think it's interesting as we, we start our discussion here that we keep in mind when you and I first started in SharePoint, I don't remember anybody talking about security at all. It's, nope. You stood this thing up and then Microsoft actually sold it as a uni user managed solution, if you remember that. Right. Uh, well, it was, well, that was, a, it, so it's funny because so much of SharePoint's growth was, it, it was the shadow IT initiative. Somebody going and standing up WSS on their own box under their desk and then and and kind of weaning their organization onto the SharePoint thing. And then suddenly IT is stuck with the burden of having to integrate it back in and support this thing because some of the people on the executive team are like, what is this thing? Hey, we want more of this. I've got an actual real world example on that one, which actually helped me start end user SharePoint. I got called by uh, a major organization to say, you know, we're finding implementations of SharePoint stood up on individual computers underneath people's desks. Can you help us come and do an analysis of what we've got here? Christian, we found 37 separate boxes <laughs> of SharePoint. Uh, and then yeah. now it's the enterprise thing that everybody's saying, shit, if this thing's being used at an enterprise level, we better yeah. start managing it. And yeah. I don't think that was unique. No, it, it wasn't. I, it, so my experience, I just, uh, when I kind of entered the fray, like I had, uh, 
been in the collaboration technology space for a couple of years, helped a company E2 open. We developed something called Collaboration Manager, which was part of our very expensive, this platform that's out there when we built and launched it. And I did deployments, global deployments in the manufacturing, high-tech manufacturing space. And so I like flew around the world and, and doing the de deployments. And a lot of this technology, you had uh, platforms that were in the product data management uh, uh, space, the PDM, PLM space that were very expensive to get into, but were much more um, mature and robust. I was with a, a client, funny enough, living in Seattle, was here consulting in Utah, where I now live, but consulting for this company. And they're like, hey, we want to roll out this SharePoint thing. And it, same thing. It was on boxes. It was being used here and there. And they're like, we want to go and use it. And I was trying to convince them, no, there's this other much more mature, more expensive, yes, but you know, more mature that better aligned with what we need to do today. But the executives of the company were like, no, hey, we catch the vision of where Microsoft is going with this and what it could be. Yes, it has a lot of gaps today. This is back in 2005. That's right. That's right. Um, and, and, and so they pushed their way into it. And funny enough, so I did the deployment. We rolled this thing out. We had problems with another half of that deployment was project server, which we never got working at the time uh, and spent a lot of money on that. A year later, I go to work for Microsoft. You know, it, it's interesting, the evolution of SharePoint, Christian. And I know our whole discussion isn't going to be on SharePoint, but that's our beginning, right? Yeah. When Microsoft first started selling SharePoint, they sold it as a user-managed solution. Stand it up and everybody's going to be able to take care of themselves. And that's the genesis. That's where end-user SharePoint came from in 2007, when I looked around and everybody was talking about developer solutions, how you could develop against SharePoint. So I stood up end user SharePoint. And honestly, on the back channel, I got so much flack and so much pushback from the geeks, the engineering geeks. What the hell are you doing? What, what is this stuff you, you're using? Uh, content editor web parts to put stuff in the interface. That's useless. And so I said, let's find out how useless it is when I show you that I just had 10,000 downloads of a single web part from end user SharePoint. Well, it's, it's not just that. It, 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 you could just see that it reflected in events. So back in when I left Microsoft in 2009 and started with the, the, the brand new relative, it was a year old, the SharePoint Saturday event these community driven events. Let's you know, give on, Susan Lennon credit yeah. for that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Microsoft. So, right. So Eric Harlan, Susan Lennon, uh, Michael Lauder, like that core team that pulled that together. I know there are a lot of other people that were, you know, ancillary that helped build and support that, but that's the core, uh, the core team. But as they, they went and launched that, that effort, uh, and I started attending the first couple of those. Um, I, my first one was right after the SharePoint conference in 2009. So the end of the year on campus, on Microsoft campus, that Redmond event. And there was maybe 100 people at that event. It wasn't huge. Uh, it, it, you know, the, the model was still kind of evolving around that. I, I'd say, it, so I started presenting at those early the next year. The sessions that were end user focused had double or triple the number of audience members. I, you know what? I was else. at that conference and 
one of the things I took away that actually changed my career. Uh, Lori Garcia had a 500 seat room. She was like from Chesapeake Oil and Gas Company in Oklahoma or something like that. And she said something, her session was like five things that you can do to get buy-in and engagement for mm -hmm. SharePoint internally. Christian, they had to lock the door because yeah. they got 500 people in there. They lined the walls and there's people all in the hallways trying to get in. And the interesting thing that Lori did is she said, you know, we analyzed our logs and we found out why people were leaving our internal site. Why were they going outside? And the funny thing was simple. First of all, they analyzed it. People were going to look at the stock quote because everybody in the company was vested. So they were checking the stock market every day to see what was going on. So Lori developed a web part that actually showed stock quote for the company right there on the front of the SharePoint page. Yeah. Boom, half the surfing stopped <laughs> going external. So she created five things like that. And one of the things that she did, and this is what really pushed end user SharePoint over the top, she said that she had her uh, assistant come in every morning, 15 minutes in advance and put up a quote of the day onto the SharePoint site, whether it came from the CEO or the CFO or whatever. And I said, well, hell, you don't have to do that manually. So I literally went back to the hotel room and in a half hour wrote a dynamically generated uh, quote of the day web part that anybody could download from end user short SharePoint, it blew the doors down because you could put your own 30 quotes in there and they just cycle through. Yep. So once again, the geeks got to me and said, this is useless. Who's going to use this? I said, you obviously weren't looking at the sessions when you were at the conference. Yeah, that it was always interesting whether or not you sat in the events, just looking from a data standpoint, and, and and I know that the event started doing this. There was a, uh, there was a, well, so my observation of SharePoint Saturdays, where it was about 50% of the content being presented were technical, were geared towards developers. Then you had, uh, you know, another 30% that were pure IT pro or even more than 30%. And the remainder were end user topics. And that was that was back in you know 2009 to 2000 let's say 2012 it was really at that point and that was like while end user sharepoint was was booming was just doing really well you then started to see those numbers flip almost exactly flip it pro kind of remained the same but 40 to 50% of content you know in the late 2010s was all about you know end user topics think about who came on board at that time because and i'm not taking credit for any of that i just happened to have a big soapbox i could present people mark anderson stuck his head up with you know the javascript stuff um the uh other people that came Kristen humbert came on with his man user managed solutions peter allen all of these people came on and said here's things that you can do at the interface level that's going to make a huge difference. Then you had Sharegate come on and you had Benjamin and Simone over there that were actually creating templates that people could use to change their interface immediately. I mean, all kinds of things happened in that period. So let's, let's move forward here as we're going through. When um, 
then we get into the teens, right? What happens? 2010 comes out, uh, SharePoint 2010 comes out. Uh, that I remember too was a big pushback. Everybody's going, man, we barely got 2007 stood up. What are we doing here? But that was the that was the difference. 2010 was where organizations started looking and saying, hey, this isn't just something that's under somebody's desk. This isn't just where, where the majority of deployments were WSS versus the paid, the enterprise version of SharePoint, if you could call it an enterprise version of that at that, 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 that time. 2010 is where it matured enough it was solid enough where organizations went and said, uh, yeah, this is serious. This collaboration is a, uh, is a post. It, uh, you know, it, it's, a, it's a leg at the of the table that we're building to serve our, our employees. It's an important piece of our technology stack. We need to take this seriously. Well, let's think about what happened there too, Christian. Let's get off the SharePoint plate and think about the DevOps plate because mm -hmm. Christian Dubois started the DevOps movement, had the first DevSecOps days in Ghent around that time. And I think he had 50 or 60 people there, period. Uh, just to give you perspective, last year there were 72 DevSecOps, uh, DevOps days around the world. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't just happening in SharePoint. Technology was changing. And the enterprises were starting to understand the value in your conversation of collaboration and how to use platforms, how to use processes, how to think about how do you get teams to work together instead of being siloed. Yeah, that's, uh, and a big part of that was the shift to the cloud, because I, I always comment the fact that so much of the early days of, of you know SharePoint or any of these technologies was the conversations were around keeping servers up and healthy and you know keeping the lights on and there was and that's where there was it was a gap it was an opportunity for those of us that were more end user focused um it pro and end user focused to then go and write about hey we're not talking about keeping servers up it's on an infrastructure discussion we're actually now let's how do we optimize our usage of this technology I used to ask this question all the time, like, what is the goal of, again, because it was a SharePoint event, you know, what, why are you deploying SharePoint or what's your role with SharePoint? It's like, well, to, and most of the answers were back were around keeping the lights on, you know, is just making sure that's up and running. It's like, so you, the whole purpose, your business deployed SharePoint was just to be running. Just to SharePoint. keep it running. <laughs> like that, like that failed strategy like okay. what are you actually trying to do with it it's like well right. we want to collaborate more it's like okay again that is a meaning like it's true and yet also meaningless what are you literally trying to do what's your unique story it's like well we want to have and so now you ask that question and people say well we're, we want to have a better you know interface for employees and partners and customers we want to you know whatever the answer is now i think people got better at talking about the actual business outcomes, what right. they were actually trying to do versus talking about the technology itself. And that's, that's critical too. And you and I have hammered that home for 10 years for mm. people. When you're at SharePoint, the first question you should ask is why, what are you trying to accomplish? As you say, what's the business objective? Um, I'll move the conversation forward here as we get to 2014. That's when uh, I left the SharePoint space. It's been seven, eight years now. 
And I actually moved into the, the DevOps space. It was a company called Sonatype. And they managed the, uh, the Maven Central Repository, which uh, houses uh, all of the open source Java components in the world. They're the stewards of that. Literally, the last time uh, I looked at, at them about a year ago, I left them about a year ago, they had over 87 billion downloads that year of open source components. So this is where things started to change, Christian, is the focus on keeping the lights on started and moved through, okay, we have to determine what the business objective is. Once you determine the business objective, I noticed that the industry was moving towards security. So how are we going to manage securely this thing that we've got? Mm -hmm. And so as, as each of the industry movements start to happen, I've been lucky enough to kind of be a little bit ahead of that. And that's why when going to Sonatype, I realized security was the next frontier. Yep. Well, it's, it's interesting that there's a lot of people that I know that are on the product management side that were in the, you know, the, the, the Microsoft now, Microsoft 365 world that have kind of moved over to that side of things. Um, and so some, some former peers at, at a couple of the ISVs that I worked with, it, you know, even when I uh, established the CollabTalk, the consultancy, so back in 2017, CollabTalk, the brand has been around with the tweet jams, you know, going back, uh, right, we're right, actually right. going to have our 10th anniversary in January. Um, so been around for a long time. Um, but I did a, a, a Microsoft and AvPoint sponsored uh, research around uh, compliance and security, and it focused heavily on security within the Microsoft 365 stack. And, and it's it, it's interesting, like and AppPoint was a co-sponsor of that. We just co-sponsored yet another study uh, around security in that space and looking at, and I'm doing a comparison right now and because it looks pretty consistent with what the concerns were, the areas of focus in 2018 to 2021. And as we looked back over that, if you go back and look at the studies that were done out in within, again, the collaboration space, but security was the number one or number two topic on everybody's tongue, you know, for the last decade around that. So it's, I mean, it's a huge need, but how did you, I want to dig into that. Like, how did you actually make that transition? Like, I remember when it all happened. And you still were, were involved. And while you're doing the new thing, you still came back and did the occasional event and other, other topics. But so how was that, that transition? And then on a, like, not just the work level, like on a personal level, you invested so much in building out the community over on this side to step away from that and go and start anew. So what, what was the, what was your experience around that? Well, uh, sure. Um, let me talk about community building a little bit. And I think you and I are in agreement on this, that if you're a community builder and you understand the concepts of community and how it works, it doesn't matter what the industry is. That building a community, building engagement around a concept uh, is a process, right? And I, I have an internal process on how that works. I've actually documented it for myself. It's hard when you're trying to start a new community and a new engagement from, from scratch. And we can talk about what I'm doing at Jupiter One, how we're trying to do that in a bit. But when you have an underlying group of people already, like we had with SharePoint, 
and no one was offering them a way to engage at their own level, that's an easy community build. Yeah. When you start moving into DevOps, I'll give you the real story behind all the DevOps, because how it grew in 90 days um, for uh, all the DevOps. Um, Derek Weeks and I were working together and we just literally went to a whiteboard at the office and in three hours in an afternoon, we sketched out this idea based upon the conversations Derek and I had had around the world. Our, our real conversation on how it worked, we were standing in, uh, in a cafe in London and we just had some incredible conversations. And we travel around the world. I've talked literally all over the world, went to um, sharing the point with the guys and we even went to Antarctica kind of thing to talk to the elephant seals about blob story. Huge, huge SharePoint community in Antarctica, little known fact. <laughs> <laughs> huge. Yeah, um, huge. But the, the thing about all day DevOps is we, we looked at it and said, we are having conversations all over the world. But once we leave, those conversations go into the ether. They're lost. What can we do to transfer that to underserved communities? Think about this, uh, Christian. It was 2016. And so there wasn't really the big online push like there was because of the pandemic in the last two years. What we decided to do is put together a live online conference, have 15 hours, three simultaneous tracks going constantly around the world, live, nothing recorded. So the funny part of this, we put the CFP up, right? We got a couple thousand dollars from Sonatype. Uh, they said, yeah, get us a, a thousand people to sign up and we'll be happy, all right? So we put up the CFP. And within days, people were filling out the CFP and saying, I don't want to speak, but I want to be able to listen. Where can I sign up? So my CFP was filling up with registrations. Yeah. So Derek and I looked at others and said, damn, we better set up a registration page. I mean, that's how novice we are. We set it up from the concept of that whiteboard through the execution of the conference itself. We had 13,400 people register. Now, you know that that kind of scale doesn't happen on its own. We had found that underlying market that was underserved, which at that time in 2014 is what the hell is DevOps and why should I be involved with it? Yeah, that, well, you know, I, I think this is a topic for another day of just pure on the community building side of things. Yeah. And, and, uh, and one of the things I just wanted to make kind of a commentary really quick is, is too, is that it's, um, you know, one of the things that I, you know, like going and looking at, there's great community people that are out there. And I'll talk about like Guy Kawasaki, for example. So they, when you think of like evangelists and the things that they've gone, gone and done. And even to some degree, like in your experience in, in twice now in the SharePoint side and over in the DevOps space, where it's this underserved market, which doesn't mean that every time you go and create, hey, this idea, there's, I found a niche, a need, an area, and want to go and build community. That's going to grow that quickly or to that, that level. There are uh, small communities that also need to be served around that, that will never have those in the massive numbers, but the principles are still there. The principles uh, are the same. And, and there's a lot that you can learn from, you know, like your experiences. Uh, in fact, 
I did an ebook that we put under the the end user SharePoint brand was around growing community where I shared a lot of my experience, you know, for a nonprofit that I I co-founded in the San Francisco East Bay called the the East Bay Innovation Group or ebig.org. And we grew it in two years to over 10,000 registered members of that and had end user groups, uh, user groups or SIGs, special interest groups all over the East Bay. I ran two of them myself uh, until we merged with uh, Tech Venture Corp, which was funded out of uh, Lockheed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, and so I was no longer part of the board for that. But it's, you know, there's a lot that you can learn whether you're building community, even within your own organization and building a user group and want to provide that support mechanism, that additional feedback loop just internally. There's things that you can leverage from this, but it's, anyway, but uh, that, that's a whole conversation. I'd that's a whole conversation. Ducks on that would be great. Yeah, that would be um, good. The, you know, you were asking um, how I moved and made the transition into yeah. DevOps space, and I tell you, the real conversation came with Debbie Rosen, um, and I give Debbie a lot of credit. She called me and asked me to come on board at Sonatype, and she gave me the um, John Scully, Steve Jobs pitch. She basically said, do you want to sell sugar water for the rest of your life or do you want to change the world? But in her case, she said, do you want to make the world safe for your children? I'm, I'm all in. <laughs> that, that, that was it. And so yeah. she described what they were doing at Sonatype. When I got there in 2014, Patrick Dubois had set up uh, the, the DevOps days uh, about five years before, but it wasn't huge yet. So I started looking at that space and saying, how can we fit in? How can we actually help this space with the knowledge that we have internally? And you asked me you know, how I made the transition. The transition was to look at the top 25 people in DevOps and get on the phone with each one of them, literally on the phone and talk to them. And, and talk the way you and I are talking now about that. that, that uh, the canvassing effort is a crucial aspect of the startup phase of any community. That's exactly what that is. Yeah. I mean, I could actually point you to the infographic that listed those 25 and their little bio. And you you know this, but let's get the listeners on the same page here. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about we have platforms. We have large soapboxes. Let's find the next generation of people that are doing cool stuff and give them the megaphone and then everybody wins right well that's 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 the thing one of the reasons why um when i started uh, collab talk the tweet jam it was a monthly twitter-based community discussion Mm -hmm. it was it's not about me it's not about the company I worked for or those that sponsored that. And it was always neutral, still is neutral. Um, at, you know, it's sponsored now by Tigraph and Avpoint. They're the ones that make it, the mechanics of it possible and fund my way, but they have no voice in the questions or the topics uh, uh, you know, around those things. But the benefit of that, again, not it's not about me. I, I'm the facilitator of that. That's but the true. fact that I would... I might go into any of those topics or into the community activity. And this is the, this, the power of the community side of, the, of this with preconceived you know, uh, ideas that I'm looking for validation around ideas around you know, answers to the questions that are posed. 
And then I get this feedback from all these different directions, which strengthen my position, validate that, or get me thinking, I never considered that aspect of it. Wow. Yeah. Uh, and well, goes you know in a different you're, you're hitting on something that's important as far as transitioning to different areas is a lot of times I'll be in those conversations you just described and something will ring my bell and I'd say, man, I've got to follow that. And that conversation for me from moving from DevOps to DevSecOps, the security thing, was with Shannon Leitz from Intuit. I call Shannon the grandmother of DevSecOps or the fairy godmother of DevSecOps because I, I give her absolute credit for that. That the, what happened is when people started to buy into the idea of DevOps, what they were saying is developers and operations should work together, should collaborate together. And Shannon said, well, where, where does security fit in here? And that's why we put SEC in the middle of it. That's why she put right. SEC and it's DevSecOps because security needs to be part of the team. It doesn't have to be a gatekeeper which is the way it originally was, right? You get your project finished, you're two days to launch, let's let the security team look at it. <laughs> yes. Sorry, too late. <laughs> well, this is, I mean, look, I, I'm going to bring up the, the the G word here around governance because in my, my background in technical project management and working with organizations, building out project management organizations or so PMOs and the DevOps tools around that and software configuration management, all those kinds of pieces, Again, we didn't refer to it as the DevOps space, but that's what it was. It was the, you know, the 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 operating system, the tools and processes and structure behind that, and the governance body around that. Having having you know IT representing the tools and the technology, the business stakeholders there, and also the security folks there, they're critical to that governance conversation. It is, but the thing that's moved now, and I'm moving a little fast through history here, is because of the complexity and the size of the systems you and I are talking about, this is no longer a manual process. If you don't have compliance and governance automated at this stage, you're way behind the eight ball. Hmm. Well, that's, and that's the thing is that, you know, where, wherever you are in the, 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 the process around there, that's why. I, I'm a big believer in having that formal governance body so that there's the conversation that's happening. It, it's, you might be well ahead of the curve and, and on top of things, but then, you know, as far as, Hey, our, our organization are using these tools, but I, my experience is that new ideas coming in the other teams are, the, the business teams, the business stakeholders will not be up to speed on what the company is doing and will not. So it needs to be part of that conversation right. so that we start including that. It's, you know, our lens of understanding adjusts as we become, as we uh, you know, participate, our, our experiences that we have, the conversations that we have. If I'm not plugged into the conversation of what's happening around security, much less the DevOps, you know, the development activities and collaboration, I'm not going to consider those things in my planning. I'm not going to think about the impacts to security as we go implement this new idea. I'm just going to be thinking the team is asking for this. They want to collaborate more. That's going to help us do more business. Let's go in that direction. And the security team may be in the back waving the hand saying, you know, there's huge implications. The security team should not be in the back, Christian. The security right. team 
deserves a seat at the table. Right, to be exactly. Part of that discussion. Right. Um, you know, I, I mentioned a couple of minutes ago that I'm usually a little bit ahead of the curve here as far as this goes. I think, and as, as bad as things are as far as cyber breaches and everything that we're hearing in the news, we're starting to get a, a relatively good handle on what it's going to take to bring security into the process itself. And what I'm looking at next, which the area that I'm moving into now is called the cyber attack surface management, cyber asset attack surface management. Because what we need to start doing is thinking about cyber assets as more than the boxes, of the, the physical boxes. We have to think of everything within the enterprise that is digitized as an asset. Think of it as a cyber asset. Because if we're not thinking that way, we're not understanding what happens when these assets are put in the same environment and they start to interact with each other. Because it's not just the assets we have to manage, it's the relationships between right. those assets. You're shaking right. your head, yes. Yeah, because that, that's exactly what I'm talking about. And to your point, I'm having the security folks at the table, part of that governance discussion is, so we could talk about, hey, here is a business, this is what we're trying to go and do. And then we have each of those voices to talk about, well, here's the implication to what's happening in the DevOps. Here's the implications of what's happening with the collaboration technology. Here's the implication of what's happening from a security standpoint, or even just to say, we don't know, we need to go <laughs> do an investigation into what the possible impacts will be there. What you're looking at there, Christian, is you've just mentioned it at a macroscopic level. You're saying right. this is these are the systems that we're trying to put together. I think the next frontier really is bringing that down to the micro level. That's what I'm interested in because it's the micro level that are causing the problems that we're seeing today. I'm actually starting to work uh, on a concept called CASM. It came out, C-A-A-S-M, it came out uh, from a Gartner study a couple months ago, cyber asset attack management, surface attack management, right? Mm -hmm. Because one of the things that we're finding is, let's use AWS as an example, that let's say that you've got an S3 bucket and you need to know whether or not that's open to the public. Well, if you look at the asset as a standalone thing, you say, oh, we got this thing locked down. It's okay. But if you look at the relationships that are interacting with that bucket, that's where some of the major breaches in the last two years have come from because there are configuration files. There are relationships that interact with that bucket that make it publicly available, but you can't see it as a standalone asset. That, that's always the, the you, you look at a lot of the breaches and as they go through and uh, I'll use as a great example, um, because again, it crosses back over to the SharePoint side of things was when Sony a few years back had that massive breach that was out there. Yeah, I, I'll just jump in a second. Yeah. That was Shannon Leitz, who I just talked about. She slept yep. under her desk for a week trying to get help Sony do that. That was Shannon. <laughs> yeah. So, so, I mean, a lot of that too was there were, uh, it, you know, because it, it was in a lot of the news that like, hey, you know, SharePoint was involved as part of that, but it was it wasn't a failure of the technology. It was, I mean, there may have been you know issues and stuff there, but it was more a process failure than it was. So you think a lot of the to go and investigate around the breaches. 
you know, there, look, there's going to be attacks that are weaknesses there within the technology. And there's, that is one layer of what security is. I, I feared that we are overly reliant, like as we do, because we focus on the technology so much that we miss a lot of the process, the human mistakes that are made uh, around utilizing that, that technology. This has been true for a long time. I don't know the numbers. This is just, again, my, my experience is that companies have tools that they don't properly deploy or don't have deployed at all. Well, it's, I agree with that, Christian. And it's bigger than that. Let's talk about the target breach as an example. Yeah. The, the point of sale system was locked down really well at target. That wasn't the issue on the breach there. The breach happened because the HVAC contractor had access to the HVAC system, computerized system, that inadvertently had access to the point of sale system. So that's an unintended consequence. And that's the words I'm starting to use. What are the unintended consequences of chaining all these things together? So I, I want to push hard on the idea that I want to build the next community around Chasm. I really, and it, it's, it's a tough one because it's a brand new concept. As you and I have talked about in the last hour, it's easy to build a concept around things that have already bubbled up and you're just looking a way right. to engage. Right. But what, do you, what happens when you get a term like chasm and it means so much to the people that understand it? How do you build a community from scratch around the concept? That's what I'm working on now. Yeah, so what are the steps to that? So like what, if we could kind of you know, glean from the, your whiteboard experience, you know, like what are some of those pieces? What are the ways to go and get started that others might be able to learn and, and, and learn from and utilize themselves? So the first thing that I always do is look for people in the community on social media and articles and blogs and the news that are talking the same language as me. Because if I can start relating the terms that they're using, the concept they're using, and then bring them over and say, look, we're working on this thing called chasm, this idea of chasm. And what you're talking about fits perfectly in there. Then I can bring them in as a core member of the community. Right? That's the first step is find those first 25 voices that resonate with the concept that you're trying to do. Now, I get this from Michael Wu, and I, I don't know if I ever introduced you to Michael. He was the head research scientist at uh, Lithium. You were sitting in the front row when uh, I did the keynote speech in San Francisco, and I brought Michael on to talk about community. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I know that you, you've seen him. Michael taught me something really big with his diagrams. He said, a lot of people think of community as this big group of people that we all put into a bunch and we're a community. He said, that's not the way it works. What you have is micro niche communities. And then when you can get crosstalk between those niche groups, they start to form this much bigger than thing. That's what I'm trying to do. If I can find 25 core people and get them to understand chasm and get them to actually start using that term that will bring their network in. And now we've got 25 networks that are starting to crosstalk. That's where community comes from. I've got a, a perfect name for uh, trying to, as you, you just kind of brand this. I think it's, uh, no one's uh, uh, utilized this. I think it's out there, but crossing the chasm. 
You know what? I've never yeah, yeah. thought of that. I know. I know. <laughs> I'm sure this is a, it's a un, completely unique idea that it took over that. No, but the, for those that are very famous book that's out there. But uh, so, yeah, it, it's it's interesting when uh, to when you think about this, like, because I'm you know in the process now of I lead uh, within my company, we have our community champions program, which is like an MVP program for, uh, you know, company for app point advocacy, uh, and the things that they're doing and supporting them that are out there. Not everything that a community that the members of the community want to do hundred percent aligns with what the organizers of the community go and do, but you provide enough, uh, you know, support for that core that's out there and allow for those unique, you know, brings into the, the things that people bring into that community can then really uh, help that community grow in, in directions that you might not have otherwise, uh, you know, known or planned for within your own efforts. I and mean, end user SharePoint was that way, where I mean, you wouldn't have known that it would have taken off in different directions around that, that, you know, it, it's funny when I did a presentation at the first, uh, it was the uh, European SharePoint conference, the first one in Berlin. I had the number one or number two highest rate of session that was about uh, social technology inside of SharePoint. Nobody, no one was talking about it, you know, <laughs> when, when I was out there talking about it. Uh, and, and yet it was, it became just a major thrust uh, uh, you know, and then with the Yammer acquisition by Microsoft and, and you know, that aspect of the community, there was a huge spurt and growth in that direction around social. Um, same happened around governance. And there's people that you have Sue Hanley and Richard Harbridge and, and Michelle Caldwell and, uh, uh, you know, all these people that were very governance centric. And it just kind of exploded sideways, you know, in that community of some like content and ideas and other things that kind of spurred and, and grew that. And, and so is that what you're hoping for or, or, or planning around for the chasm within DevSecOps? It, it is, right? I mean, chasm is not necessarily about DevSecOps. I'm literally have moved away from the DevSecOps space because I'm focusing solely on chasm right now. Hmm. But one of the advantages I had with DevOps and DevSecOps is by running all day DevOps, I would have 30 or 40,000 people each year telling me what they were interested in. Mm -hmm. Now, you've been a conference organizer before, you'll understand this, so I'll kind of go in slow motion for those that haven't produced one of these before. When you put out a call for papers, when you get 300, 400, 500 submissions, you can tell almost immediately where the community is going. Yeah. Now, that, I'll tell you as an example, when we first set up All Day DevOps, the first thing people wanted to talk about was uh, CD and CI, you know, constant delivery, continuous delivery, continuous integration. The second year, over half of the submissions were on cultural transformation. And I went, oh, the industry now has grown beyond the technology. Now they're finding out how do you adopt it? How do you make a cultural transformation to it? So if you can follow them and be part of the major conferences and actually keep an eye on the agenda, you can anticipate what's gonna happen in the next year. 
I think yep. that's fascinating. It's a, well, and both being, you know, content people as well. And it's, it's not just about like that event. That is a great way to, again, go and look at say What else is being discussed? What are people, you know, interested in? Uh, so great from the event standpoint, but also just be thinking, it's like, do I need to be changing what I'm focused on, what I'm writing about, what I'm going and doing? It's like doing research. You know, Collab Talk, my, the consultancy had that 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 wing of doing uh, research, partnering with the Marriott School of Management at Brigham Young University, and and so working with grad students and doing these uh, these original research projects, these deep dives, doing interviews, doing panel discussions, all of that, uh, you could really nerd out and go in depth into the topics and be and realize again, like, hey, you know what? I need to be looking at an area that I just had not been considering. It, it's just the fascinating thing, thing from a content creation perspective. The content creation part is the gateway to find out what the community is interested in. Like I used Lori Garcia's session uh, at the SharePoint conference. When you have 500 people and they have to lock the door to stop people from coming <laughs> in, yep. you found something. Uh, and it was the first time anything of that scale about end users had happened. So I, I, I well, just one last thing, and I know that we need to, to run here, but yeah. you know, just on that point. So uh, my good friend, uh, Thomas Duff and I have been doing, you know, uh, just Microsoft 365 productivity solutions. So a lot of the my, the office suite, that side of thing, but speaking on that point of what people are passionate about, the last time we co-presented in person at the what has been rebranded as the Microsoft 365 Collab Conference, the Collab Summit, which is happening in, in December here this year in, in Las Vegas. But we did this. We had a room that could hold about 1,500 people. I don't know, 1,000 people. It was massive in there. Maybe it wasn't that big. Maybe it was more like 500. I'm just, I'm just uh, uh, adjusting my memory here around it. But no, the point was it was full. And there were people standing along the walls and in the back and sitting on the floor down the aisles. Uh, it was full in there, which is tremendous validation for a, a speaker like, hey, we're on to something ar around this. But this, that area, you know, uh, why I got involved with that is it started back in the SharePoint, early SharePoint community days. I started doing a session called uh, like uh, top 10 features in SharePoint that, uh, that you should be using, but pro probably aren't, or or that you're not using, right. but probably should, That's or whatever. Cool. Yeah. The variations of that, just in SlideShare alone, I have something close to six, seven hundred thousand views mm -hmm. of that, and about one hundred and fifty thousand downloads of those presentations. It's been hugely successful for that. Where so people here's here's where I need your help if I can. Yeah. If I can kind of round out, round out this thing. Yeah. Um, my focus now, as I said, is on cyber asset attack surface management, CASM, C-A-A-S-M. If uh, attack surface management, if that's what you're interested in and you're listening to this podcast or watching this, um, I want to hear from you. I want to hear anybody that wants to talk about that, anybody that has content related to that. Let's start building the foundation of a community because it doesn't exist right now. You can be like Susan Lennon saw the very beginning of it. And I give Sue a lot of credit. I was there at the first SharePoint Saturdays. And it just this is, this is like the up. opportunity to buy Bitcoin 10 years ago. <laughs> this is your opportunity at the beginning of the community to be involved. Well, I, I will guarantee you that Chasm 
is the next frontier. If you want to be part of that generation moving forward, chasm is going to be related to, it's not industry specific, it's not tool specific. It is a concept that we have to start thinking about, attack surface management, cyber asset attack surface management. I well, want Martin, to be the guy that builds yeah, that. Up. Really appreciate your time. And, and we'll definitely, I'll provide in the associated blog post, uh, you know, some of the contact information as well around this. Great. Mark, really appreciate your time today. It was great to catch up. I know we'll be talking more uh, in, in the future, but uh, thanks for everybody for, for listening. You want to find out more, Mark, what are the best ways to reach you, to find you? Right now, if you go to jupiter1.com, uh, the, the, uh, we've got a blog going. I, I put content up literally every day. If you want to be on LinkedIn, I'm there every day putting up new content around this concept. Um, that's uh, Twitter you can follow, but really it's LinkedIn if you want to see daily. LinkedIn and the Jupiter One blog daily. Well, Mark, thank you so much for your time and we'll uh, we'll catch up soon. Hey, it's always good to talk to you. Please call again. You've been listening to the Collab Talk podcast. New episodes are published every Friday, and you can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and most other podcast services. Thanks for listening. Hungry for more great content? You have to check out the Shift Happens podcast. I'm your host, Ducks Raymond Sai, Chief Brand Officer at AppPoint. And I sit down to chat with top business leaders and IT professionals about their most challenging modern workplace projects. Tune in to hear real-life advice from industry peers on making plans and pivots, casual conversations exploring the latest trends in collaborative Microsoft 365 technology, and easy, actionable strategies to make organizational change happen. Subscribe to the Shift Happens podcast today, available on all major platforms. Can't wait to see you there. Shift Happens Podcast.